Okay, dads, let's go ahead and get started, guys. Now, some of you've already let me know how uncomfortable you were in last week's meeting. So tonight, we're gonna try to respect each other's boundaries. What? Tonight, we've also got a guest with us, David. And would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hey, guys. I'm David. David. Hey. Okay. How many kids do you have, David? None. At least, not at the moment. Uh, my wife is pregnant, and uh, she should be delivering any day now. That's great. So Super. Cool. Great. Awesome. Who'd like to go first? Anyone. Anyone. I'll go. Perfect. Todd? Yes. My daughter and I went to the mall, and she said she wanted to take the stairs to the second level. And I said, I don't trust stairs, because they're always up to something. <laughs> Todd, I'm sorry that happened. I encourage you to try to resist the urge to make jokes like that. My turn? Can I go? Okay. Yesterday, actually, my daughter got home and she asked me how my day was. And I said, well, a guy tried to sell me a coffin, but that's the last thing I need. Oh, Jerry, that joke is dead on arrival. Because it's the last thing I need. David, how about you? Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't say This is a safe zone. Just jump on in. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm just scared of being a dad. I'm afraid I'm gonna start telling bad jokes just like my dad. Well, it might be in our nature. We can fight against it. Hey, speaking of nature, I tried to catch some fog yesterday. I missed. <laughs> M-I-S-T. Oh, You're a monster. This I... is where the boundary is. I'm done. This is where you are. Hello? Really? Okay, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'll be right there. That was Julie. Her water just broke. I guess the baby finally ran out of womb. <laughs> I'm gonna be a dad. Don't you think it should be going? Oh, yeah. I told my wife she drew her eyebrows too high. She seemed surprised. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. What a, what a great day to get together and, and celebrate uh, what God has done and is doing uh, in our lives as followers of Jesus. I, I, I thought about having my own bad jokes, um, and I've got plenty, I'm sure, uh, but during the 8 o'clock worship gathering, Philip Herring, uh, who was just up here a few moments ago, he was laughing so hard at those jokes up there that I thought I'd ask him, you know, uh, what he thought was so funny. And he said, well, it just reminded him of the jokes that he has told his uh, children, his three sons, who are now grown now. And uh, he said that uh, he wanted to share... Uh, and he shared two of those jokes with me, and I told him that I was going to share them publicly with you all uh, and give him plenty of credit. These are his jokes, not mine. Uh, but one uh, joke was, uh, uh, what did the grape say when the elephant sat on him? Nothing. 
Just let out a little wine. That's great. That's it. Just let out a little wine. Uh, and I'm trying to think the second bad joke, but it's just got me so confused. Uh, let out, y'all get it, let out a little wine. Philip, what is it? Oh, what are the biggest ants in the world? Giants. Oh, y'all are, Philip, was there a third one that you could think of? No third one. Okay. All right. Isn't that great? Well, you know, we do pass on things to our children as fathers and, and some of those things are good. Some of those things, not so good. I know today, for me, today is a great day. Uh, my dad uh, has been a model for me all my life and he continues to be. And I am grateful and thankful to God for him. The grace that he has shown me and the strength that he has given me and the discipline that he has used on me and, and uh, all of those things. I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful for him. I know not everybody has had the experience that I've had. And some of you are here today and uh, it's hard for you to think in a positive way about your father. And, uh, and, and I understand that and I pray that God would give you grace, or maybe your father has gone on to be with Jesus, and there's a sense of loss that you have in your life today, and I pray God's grace and favor upon you today. Um, and maybe this is hard because um, you want to be a dad, but you're not, and so there's a sense of pain in that as well. So whatever uh, experience you're, you're, you're having today, I'm, I'm, my prayer for you is that God would take his word and speak clearly to you uh, today. This gathering is going to be a little bit different than the others because my family is here in this one. And so I'm going to do something in this service that I wasn't able to do in the other two services uh, or worship gatherings. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 2. And in Titus chapter 2, if you remember on Mother's Day, I did, uh, we looked together at Titus chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5, and how that God, by his word, gives instruction to the older ladies and the younger ladies in the church. Um, today, as I promised, we're going to look at Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, God's instructions to older men and younger men in the church. Um, now, Make no mistake, this passage applies to every person who is a follower of Jesus. Uh, the principles, the characteristics that we see here uh, that are directed toward the men uh, and toward the ladies apply to every follower of Jesus. So I, I want you to see that, but I think it's appropriate for us to look specifically at how these passages, as they are directed by God toward uh, the men, how they apply to us as men, uh, but also ladies you take these principles and you apply them to your life as well as followers of Jesus. As Paul is writing this passage, he's trying to get Timothy, uh, Titus, Titus, uh, who is a pastor on the island of Crete, he's trying to get Titus to lead the followers of Jesus in the church uh, to uh, demonstrate the beauty of God's grace, especially in relationships. Uh, we know, I think, I think we can all attest to the fact that there are a lot of things broken in this world, and relationships are one of them. And yet God, by His grace, has, has rescued us who are followers of Jesus. He's rescued us from our sin, 
uh, but not just rescued us from our sin, but he's empowered us to live in a way that reflects his grace in, in our world. And in fact, as Paul is writing to Titus, and as Titus is called to teach uh, the church in Crete, God speaks to us today, and, and he's calling us as followers of Jesus to, um, to live in such a way that our life is different. See, that really is what we've been looking at, how following Jesus is coming out of the darkness and into the light, uh, how following Jesus means that we pick up our cross and we carry it, and today following Jesus means that, that, that our life is different than it was before. Following Jesus changes how we live our lives every day. Not, not just uh, punching a ticket to get us to heaven, but literally changing our life every day. And our relationships. See, God wants the church to be a beacon of hope in a world of broken relationships. He desires, mm, he demands that this family show the beauty of relationships as we relate together. That's why it is so disheartening and disappointing and distressing to the heart of God for there to be any kind of demeaning or divisiveness in the body of believers. Why? Because you and I are supposed to be the beacon of hope. And when we don't relate to each other well, we are dimming that beacon for our watching world. You might say, well, why, why is it that, that we get in fights? Well, Paul says it very clearly. The reason the believers get in fights is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because we're chasing after our own desires and are immature. Now, we haven't grown up. And in some ways, that's exactly what Paul is addressing here in Titus chapter 2. He's saying, we want you to follow Jesus in a way that changes your life and produces in your relationships with others um, the beauty of God's grace. It demonstrates the power of the gospel itself. So as we look at, at Titus 2, we're only looking at verses 1 and 2 and verse 6. Um, but there are seven points to this sermon. Y'all are used to me preaching three points. And I preach a long time with three points. So if you planned lunch for Father's Day, sorry. Uh, no, we'll, we'll move through it. So Titus chapter 2. Now, y'all don't leave. Just Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But as for you, talking to Titus, Paul's writing. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That older men be sober, reverent, temperate. Sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. Verse 6, likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Same word that we find in verse 2. So as we look at these words, what we, what we understand is that, that Paul is telling Titus to teach them something. Okay, So God is speaking to us and he is using this word to teach us something. Well, what does he want Titus to teach? Well, he wants Titus to teach the things that are appropriate, fitting, that flow out of sound doctrine. Now, whenever you see the term doctrine, especially in, the, in, in Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, whenever you see that word doctrine, he's talking about the gospel. 
Now, he's talking about the whole of the Word of God, but specifically he's talking about the, the gospel. The gospel being, you all know the gospel, that, that we were sinners separated from God by our sin. And that sin created a, ca- a, 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 a chasm between us and God so that we could not reach God and we could not know God. We knew about God, but we didn't have friendship with God. And nothing we could do could bridge that chasm. Even though we tried to be religious or moral or, or whatever, we, we tried to bridge that chasm between us and God that our sin had created, but we couldn't. And yet God, who saw us as sinners, and even though we were, the Bible says, dead in our trespasses and sin, God sent Jesus to come our way because of his love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead and separated from him, he sent Jesus to make us alive. He he sent Jesus to, to, to provide the forgiveness for our sin. Jesus died on a cross for our sin. He was raised from the dead to give us new life, to to justify us in the sight of God. The gospel is simple. I was a sinner, hostile toward God, dead in my sin. God sent Jesus to rescue me. And through faith and repentance, faith in Jesus, repentance of my sin, I've trusted in Christ and he has changed my life. So that now the chasm that my sin has created has been bridged by Jesus himself. And I am now a friend of God. I am now part of God's family. That's the gospel. Now, what Paul is saying is saying, Titus, I want you to teach the people in Crete. I want you to teach them in such a way that the gospel changes their life, not just leads them to to faith in Christ, but changes their lives every day. I want you to teach that which is fit and proper and flows out of the gospel itself. So today, as we look at the characteristics of of, of, of the the gospel-shaped characteristics of men in the church, the first one is this. We need to learn to live so that our lives are in sync with the gospel. We need to learn. Now, if Titus is teaching and if the Spirit of God is teaching through the Word of God to your heart today, then then the goal is to learn, okay? Uh, Paul had a conviction that, that correct belief produces good behavior. Correct belief produces the right behavior, and, and that's good. But, but he also had a conviction that learning isn't learning if it doesn't change your life. You and I need to understand that the gospel is something that we learn, but it's something that we continue to learn. It's it's something that that changed our life forever, but it's something that should be changing our life today. And we gather here today and we take copious notes. We we jot down outlines and we we, we, uh, fill our notebooks and pages and papers with, with all this information that we've garnered and we put it in our Bible and we put the Bible on the shelf and nothing changes about us. There's nobody at work that sees any difference in who we are. There's nobody in our home that sees a significant difference in who we are. It's because we say we're learning, but we're not. We're we're hearers of God's word, but we're not doers. And friends, I've got to tell you, that has to stop today. We need to learn in such a way that it changes our lives. And our lives reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, the passage that comes to my heart and mind when I hear this is, is Romans chapter 12. By the way, can I just say this? Just because you quote a lot of scripture or I quote a lot of scripture does not mean that my life is in sync with the gospel. 
Just because you or I can, can pontificate and bloviate great intricacies of theological systems does not mean that you or I are living in sync with the gospel. It's not what I know, it's what I'm living. So here's what Paul said. He said, I be- Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, based upon all that God has done, I beg you, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. Now, and do not be conformed any longer to the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove that which is the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. He said, I, in Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul has outlined sound doctrine. I mean, he shared the gospel front to back, inside and outside, historically and, 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 and theologically and every other way. That's, that's Romans chapters 1 through 11. Now in verse chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, now here's what the gospel is supposed to do in your life today. No longer conform to the mold of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Live daily in sync with the gospel. So, Edie, Emily, Catherine, Maggie, Elizabeth, and Mallory, who's not here. I am so sorry that I have not more consistently lived in sync with the gospel because I know that there is a gap between God's expectation and the way I've done it. And I am so sorry. And I ask you to forgive me. The second quality that we see is that we are to not only live daily in sync with the gospel, but we are to keep our focus on following Jesus. Paul uses a term. He says, uh, he says Titus, as for you... Um, teach those things or speak those things which are proper for sound doctrine that the older men and the younger men should be sober or sober-minded the the picture of being sober and 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 certainly it's it's the antithesis of being drunk but but that's not what he's talking about here being sober the term there means that that we refuse to allow anything distract us from following after Jesus and bringing God honor. But we refuse to allow anything to get, we're going to discipline our way of thinking so that no matter what the emotion is that I'm feeling, no matter what the, the temptation that comes our way, no matter what the, 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 the ideas that, that are put on my plate and, and, and are appetizing to my palate, I, I, I refuse to be distracted from following Jesus. The truth is that uh, I, if you're anything at all like I am, you, you have a thousand things that can distract you from following Jesus. I mean a thousand things a day. 
A thousand things that vie for my attention and even my affections. There are thousand things that, that can creep into my calendar or into my to-do list or into my desires and, and move me away from a focus on following Jesus. I start focusing on all these other things. And by the way, not all those other things are bad things. Some of them are very good things, except when they keep me from following Jesus. Our problem our problem as men in our relationships, our problem as followers of Jesus in this world is so often we become distracted. You know, like the little cat chasing the light or, you know, you have a little, uh, a little uh, red laser beam or a, or a flashlight and you throw that, that light on the floor and that cat will jump on that light or, and then you move it over here and it'll jump over here and then you move it over here and jump over there and... Y'all have done that, haven't you? If you haven't, do it. It's great. So often we're like those little kitty cats chasing those little lights. And what being sober means, it means that we are intentionally, persistently focused on following Jesus. As, as we looked at last week, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews, he said... And seeing then that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and, and let us run with endurance the race that's been set before us. Here it is. Setting our gaze on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to set our gaze on Jesus. We need to follow him. When... When the gospel gets hold of our heart, we have a persistent, intentional focus on following Jesus. So Edie and Emily Catherine and Elizabeth and Maggie and Mallory, there's so many things that vie for my attention and so many things that creep into my mind and my world. Not all of them are bad, many of them are good, but I have failed in persistently, consistently following Jesus as the focus of my everyday. And in that way, I've, I've diminished the beauty and the grace of a relationship with God because I haven't modeled it the way I should with you all. And so I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm sorry that I've been focused on other things at different times. I haven't done what I should be doing. Focus on following Jesus. So Paul says that we need to let the gospel shape our life in such a way that we live our lives in sync with him. And, and then he says we need to be sober. It means we need to keep our focus on following Jesus. And then the third thing he says is he uses a Greek term, semnos, and in and, and, and this translation, it's reverent. Um, simply put, it, reverence is a good word, by the way. Reverence is a great word. I love the word reverence, but, but so often what happens is reverence uh, for us is form, and for God, reverence is substance. It, 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 for us, it's what you look like. And for God, it's what's in your heart. 
And we come to church and all of us look a particular part. We play a particular game and we look respectable. We play the part of being reverent. But our heart is disconnected from living worthy of God's majesty. Now, I, I understand. And listen, there's, there's always going to be a gap between what, what God expects and what we do. But friends, that gap is, is not to lead us to despair, nor is it to move us to apathy. That gap is to inspire us to confession and repentance. And today, if, if you don't see a gap in your life between what God expects from those who are following Jesus and where you are, if you don't see that gap, then you're just being stubborn. And if you do see that gap, don't be discouraged toward despair or apathy, but rather see the gap and acknowledge your imperfection, I acknowledge your sinfulness, and confess and repent it so that you allow the Spirit of God to close that gap. When Paul says we need to be reverent, he's not saying you need to act better in church. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I grew up, my mama would pinch the back of my arm, right? I remember one time it was a Sunday night church, and my dad, you know, my dad's a preacher, so my dad's preaching. At Sunday night church, mom was at home for some reason, probably my, my brother was sick or something, and, and I was sitting on the on the end of a pew right over here, and, and Dad was, Dad was uh, uh, preaching, and, and so I, I get all distracted. I'm chasing all these different lights again, so I get distracted, and then, then I, I jump pews. <laughs> Parents, don't ever worry about what your kids are behaving like in church. I've seen it all, probably done most of it, but <laughs> I jumped the pew, and then I realized I didn't want to, I didn't want to sit there. So I get down and I crawl back. When I pop my head back up, my dad's standing right there and he said, boy, we're going to talk about this when we get home. At, you know, I was raised, generation, you behave in church. And I'm not saying you should misbehave in church. I'm just saying that that, that was theme. But, you know, God is far more concerned about how you're behaving every day than he is just how you behave at church. He wants to know that you're reflecting his majesty and holiness and, and, his, and his glory every day of your life. And the truth is, I haven't always lived worthy of God's majesty. So Edie and Emily Catherine and Maggie and Elizabeth and Mallory, I'm sorry that I failed to demonstrate the beauty of God's majesty and His glory and His holiness because I've chased after sin and because I've been distracted by my own desires. I'm sorry that I have failed to model what needs to be modeled in your life. I ask you to forgive me. We need to live worthy of God's majesty. Paul then uses another word, not just live worthy of God's majesty, semnos, but he uses what's translated here, temperate. And it, it's the Greek word sophron, and, and, and temperate, you know, that, that's, that's an English-sounding word. Really what he, 
what he means by that is we need to tie our decisions to God's desires. Sophron is the difference between a bridled life and an unbridled life. You know, you, you, you think of horses, and, and, and you have these horses, you have these great stallions, these work horses, and, and, and the, kind of horse, the kind of horse John Wayne would want to ride. You know, that, that kind of horse, you have, you have that kind of horse, and, 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 and that horse has a bridle and a bit in its mouth and a saddle on its back, and, and that horse has been trained and tamed, hasn't lost any of its power, hadn't lost any of its strength, hadn't lost any of its force, but all of that is directed in a particular way, uh, in the way that John Wayne directs, and, and that, 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 that horse is bridled. But if you have that same horse, you take the bit and the bridle off its off of it, and you take the saddle off its back, and that horse then gets to run wherever it wants to run, gets to go where the grass is always greener, and, and go where the streams are running clear and cool, and, and, and that, that horse is unbridled. Now, when we look at those two horses, what we think to ourselves is, man, I want to be the unbridled horse, but what God says is, no, the unbridled horse is dangerous, going nowhere fast. You want to be the bridled horse, submitted to the control of God himself. You see, when, when we live a life unbridled from God, we're living a life that's headed toward tragedy and distress. But if we're living a life that is bridled to the desires of God, then we're living our lives in such a way that we experience the full measure of God's beautiful life. Part of our problem is that we allow passions to sweep into our heart and we allow faults to consume our mind and lead us to a deranged and delusional kind of existence where we think we know better than God. We think we can be unbridled and it'd be okay. What Paul says here and what God says to us today is you want to experience health in your relationships. You want to experience beauty of God's grace in your life. You want to experience power for everyday living. Then you must tie your decisions and your direction to God's desires. Y'all see the distance, right? My, my cell phone is broken. I, I mean, it, it works, but it's broken. It's broken a little bit. Uh, Edie and I were on a trip, and we were stopping at a rest area, and I dropped my phone, and it cracked the screen. Now, from there, you probably can't see the cracks. Up close, you could see them. It's broken. But more than just an external breaking now, one of the problems with the phone now is, I mean, it still receives and sends text messages or, or email, or it actually does what a phone is supposed to do, which is talk on the phone, receive phone calls, and, and send phone calls. But the problem is, one minute the battery life says 90%, and the next minute it says 20%. It's broken. It may be broken just a little bit and still make it, uh, accomplish some of the things that it's supposed to do, but 
but it's not the way it was designed to be. It's a little bit broken. Truth is, in my life, I've been a little bit broken. And there are things that God expects for me to tie my decisions and my direction to his desires. And I've come up short. And I'm a little bit broken. And if you feel that, that distance, it's not a bad thing. That's a good thing today. See, to my family, I owe the deepest apology and, and sorrow and grief because I haven't always tied my decisions to God's direction. And it's created chaos and harm and pain in your life because I'm not who God wants me to be. And I'm still a little broken. But before you and before you and before God, I acknowledge that distance, that gap. And I confess it before Him as sin and I repent of it so that God can close that gap and bring wholeness in my relationships. When the gospel gets hold of our life, we tire decisions and our direction to God's desire. Paul goes on, and, and, and the last three phrases he uses sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. And that term sound, S-O-U-N-D, means solid. It, it means solid, it means healthy, it means correct. It means the way it's supposed to be, the way it's intended to be. So when Paul's writing, he says, now, now guys, here's what else you got to do. you got to have, uh, be sound in faith. You need to have solid love. You need to be, you need to be healthy in your perseverance. So, so how does that apply to us? And, and, and what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing it means, or number five, it means that, that we, need to, uh, we, we need to trust God in every season of our life. That's sound in faith, healthy in faith, solid in faith. So often what we do is we tie our trust to our circumstances. If I, can, if I can navigate these circumstances, if I can just make it one more day, if I can somehow buckle up under bad times, then, then everything's going to be okay. I'm trusting in myself, in my own strength, in my own ability to navigate through these days. But, but the, bottom, the, the problem with that is the days get darker sometimes and the, the way gets harder sometimes and, and, and life gets more difficult some, sometimes. Some of the seasons are seasons of storms and we don't know how to navigate the storm. We're lost and, and everything in us needs to, uh, needs to uh, look to the compass, the true north of God's power and presence and promise in our life, but we're still stuck in trusting ourselves. Today, if you and I are going to bring health into our relationships, if we're going to experience the full flavor of God's favor in our life, then, then we need to put our trust in God, looking to him as our true north in his presence and his power and his promise. We need to cling to him and say, no matter what happens, I've got troubles. You got troubles. All God's children got troubles, but I'm going to stand firm and strong because I'm not standing alone. I'm trusting in the God who raises the dead. I'm going to press on. 
Now, that's the way we're supposed to live. But we don't always live that way. See, I'm still just a little broken. And sometimes the gap between my trust and my actions doesn't look so good. But when the gospel gets hold of our life, we trust God in every season. We put our faith in him. Not only do we trust God in every season, but we love extravagantly and sacrificially. To to be sound or healthy or solid in love means that I'm going to do whatever it takes to show you the love that I'm supposed to show. And that is an extravagant love. That's a love without condition. It's a love with no ties. It's a love that sacrifices self. And to the ladies in my life, I'm so sorry that I have not loved you that way as often as I should. I'm sorry that I failed to love you sacrificially and extravagantly. And you might say, well, I'm looking at people in my office and they don't deserve that kind of love. And I would say to you, uh, what does that have to do with it? See, you and I, we, we, we looked to Jesus and, 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 and we didn't deserve his love, but he gave us a love that was so powerful and so strong that it meant his death, but it delivered to us life. It was a love without condition. It was a love with no strings attached. It was a love that gave life to us. And that's the kind of love that we're supposed to show each other. This is the kind of love that we're supposed to show toward one another. Are you known by your love? Not not known by your power or your intellect or your knowledge or your strength or or your charisma. Are you known by your love? This is the model that is set for us and this is the way we're supposed to live. When the gospel gets hold of our lives, we we love others extravagantly and sacrificially. Last thing Paul said is we need to be sound in patience. It means that we persevere with contagious confidence in Jesus. The Greek term there for patience is hupomone, and it, it simply means to bear up under the weight. Now, some of y'all got a lot of weight on you. I know you do. Some of you carrying a whole, whole lot. But as the weight presses down and you look to Jesus... He gives you the strength and the confidence that you need to stand strong. See, everybody, everybody experiences the dark side of life. And all of us have to walk through the deep, dark shadows. But as followers of Jesus, we can have a contagious, courageous confidence in Jesus. This is Jesus who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he promises to stand with us and to, and, and to cling to us. And, 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 and when we're walking up the steep bank of our own day and, and it, it seems so hard and painful, it's in those moments that Jesus stretches out, stretches out his nail-pierced hand and he pulls us up to him and says, says cling to me, I got you. We got this. It's in those 
those deep, dark nights of the soul where you're curled up in the fetal position in the corner of your room and you just don't see how there's any hope left. It's in those moments when we cry out to Jesus and he says, I got you. We got this. I know it's not easy. But Jesus never promised it would be easy. But he promised that he would be with us. So much so that when, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come to me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on. We're supposed to persevere. Not shrink away into nothingness and wilt like a little flower when things get tough. We have the spirit of the living God residing within us. So it's time to stand. The good news is, is that today, Jesus has his arms outstretched to you. And the lavished love of the Father is being poured out to you. And, and even though you see that you're broken just a little and there's a gap between what he says and how you're living, even then God says, hey, listen, I can make up the distance. I've, I've offered you forgiveness uh, for, for, for that gap called sin. And, and I want to provide the, the, the grace you need and the power you need to close that gap and, and to live faithfully as a follower of Jesus. Today, God is stretching out his arms to you and he says, hey, listen, I want you to be made whole. I want you to experience the full measure of life. I want you to taste all the grandeur and the grace that he provides. This is what God has for you. And he beckons you to come. And he says, come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're weighed down. Come to me. And I'll give you some rest today. Oh, I beg you. Become more like Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. Confess your sin to God and maybe even to others that need to hear it. Repent. And then live in sync with the gospel that has saved you.